Section 14 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Book Third, Chapter Two The Eternal History of Utopia. A steamboat was a prodigious novelty in the waters of the Channel in 1820. The whole Norman coast was long terrified by it. Today, ten or twelve steamers crossing each other's course in various directions on one marine horizon make no one even lift his eyes at the most they occupy for a moment the special expert who can distinguish by the color of their smoke whether this one burns welsh coal and that one newcastle coal they pass tis well welcome if they are arriving a prosperous voyage if they are departing. People were less calm on the subject of those inventions during the first quarter of this century, and these mechanisms and their smoke were viewed with special disfavor among the islanders of the Channel. In this Puritan archipelago, where the Queen of England has been blamed for violating the Bible, note Genesis 3, 16, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Because she gave birth while under the influence of chloroform, the first success won by the steamboat was to be christened the Devil Boat. To these good fisherfolk, formerly Catholics, now Calvinists, always bigots, it seemed to be hell afloat. A local preacher treated this question. Have we the right to make fire and water work together, when God has separated them? Note, Genesis 1, chapter 4. Did not this beast of fire and iron resemble Leviathan? Was not this reconstituting chaos in the measure possible to human beings? This is not the first time that progress has been described as a return to chaos. Mad ideas, gross error, absurdity, such had been the verdict of the Academy of Sciences when consulted by Napoleon at the beginning of this century as to the steamboat. The fishermen of St. Sampson are excusable for being in a scientific matter on a level with the geometricians of Paris, and in the matter of religion a little island like Guernsey is not compelled to possess more light than a great continent like America. In 1807, when Fulton's first steamboat, commanded by Livingston, provided with Watt's engine, sent from England, and managed besides the ordinary crew, by only two Frenchmen, André Michaud and another, when this first steamboat made its first trip from New York to Albany, it chanced to be the 17th of August. Thereupon Methodism took up the word and in all the chapels the preachers cursed that machine, declaring that seventeen was the total of the ten horns and the seven heads of the beast of the apocalypse. In America the beast of the apocalypse was invoked against the steamship, and in Europe the beast of Genesis. Therein lay the whole difference. The wise men had rejected the steamboat as impossible. The priests, in their turn, rejected it as impious. Science had condemned, religion anathematized. Fulton was a species of Lucifer. The simple folk of shore and country 
clung to this reprobation because of the discomfort which this novelty gave them. In the presence of the steamboat, the religious point of view was as follows. Fire and water are a divorce. This divorce is ordained by God. One should not put asunder what God has joined together. One must not unite what he has put asunder. The peasant's point of view was this. It frightens me. Nothing less than Mes Lettierie was required in order to engage in such an undertaking as a steamboat from Guernsey to St. Malo at that distant epoch. He alone could conceive it as a free thinker and realize it as a bold mariner. His French side conceived the idea, his English side executed it. How it came about, we will tell. End of chapter 2. The Eternal History of Utopia.